0: You know, for us as a faith family, one of the missionary families that we support as a church is Doug and Darla Miller. It's a missionary family down in eastern Mexico, and they are seeking to reach unreached people groups with the gospel. Well, Doug and Darla have been ministering down there for decades, and one of the young men that Doug is now discipling is a young man by the name of Eliseo. Eliseo became the pastor of the church in Chan Chin at the age of sixteen. This young man is sharp. He's trilingual. He speaks both English, Spanish, and Mayan. And this young man has an infectious smile. Well, when I was down there with some men from our church doing some ministry several years ago, I saw Eliseo working with a bunch of goats. And so I asked Doug. I said, "Doug, why is Eliseo shepherding a bunch of goats?" And Doug just gave me a big old smile, just as he does, and he says, "If he's going to pastor, he needs to learn how to shepherd those who don't listen to him." <laughs> and see, what Doug is doing is he is trying to disciple this young young man to teach him how to shepherd, to teach him how to pastor. Well, just as he's doing that with Eliseo, what we see in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5, is Simon Peter teaching first century and 21st century pastors how to shepherd. Let me show you. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter, chapter 5. We are in the home stretch of our sermon series through the book of 1 Peter as a faith family. I was doing some research this week and realized we have done 25 messages through the book of First Peter together. And Lord willing, we'll be finishing... Up this book in the next couple of weeks. It's amazing to see how the Lord has used this book even in my own life. But Simon Peter is writing to first century believers who are suffering for the sake of the gospel. Indeed, following Jesus in modern day Turkey was a sentence to suffer, it was a call to suffer. And so as they're suffering, as they're enduring fiery trials, as we saw last week in chapter four, Simon Peter is calling upon them to remain faithful. Do not back down. Stand firm in the true grace of God. And throughout his book, he's been reminding these believers of the gospel, of all that God has done for them through his son, Jesus. But what's interesting now is in chapter five, Simon Peter makes an interesting pivot in which he addresses church leadership he is teaching those who are going to be leading the church throughout this area that is suffering and he's teaching these elders he's teaching these pastors how they are to shepherd God's people and I want you to notice in the text this morning how a faithful pastor leads I want you to see first of all that faithful pastors lead with humility they lead with humility. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Peter writes, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. You see, as a leader within the early church, Peter is exhorting, verse one, he is pushing, he is challenging pastors of local churches to be faithful shepherds. He's not sitting in an ivory tower lecturing. Peter is not one who is sitting on a throne making a decree. Peter is not sitting behind a desk barking orders. Simon Peter, we see verse one, he is in the trenches of day-to-day ministry. He is, verse one, he is a fellow elder. He's identifying himself as one who, I too am a pastor. I, too, am an elder just, just like you. And this is what Jesus has called him to. When you go back to John chapter 21, uh, when Jesus has risen from the dead, he gathers with Peter and the disciples again, and he comes to this Simon Peter, the author of this book, and after Peter has denied him three times, Peter, uh, Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And each time Peter answers, You know that I love you. You know that I love you. You know that I love you. And then Jesus would respond each time, feed my sheep, shepherd my sheep, feed my lambs. Jesus is calling Peter into pastoral ministry. And so as Simon Peter is about to make this call, this challenge, this exhortation to pastors, he's saying, listen, I'm a pastor just like you. Just as the Lord Jesus has called me to shepherd, he indeed is calling you to shepherd. But then notice in the text, Peter points them backwards and forwards for his purpose in exhorting them. Backwards, verse 1. He says, as a witness to the sufferings of Christ. Meaning, I saw Jesus suffer. I was there when he was arrested. I was there when he was beaten. I was there when he suffered on the cross. What we're seeing here is an eyewitness account. He's saying, I was there. I saw it. I saw the sufferings of Jesus. But then notice he also points us forward in verse 1, and he says, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. So in light of what Christ has done for you in the gospel, namely backwards, and in light of his glorious return of his soon-coming rescue of his church, forward, verse 2, here's his exhortation. Shepherd God's flock among you. Now, shepherding is a humbling, servant-minded task. So what's a shepherd look like? Faithful shepherds are mature, godly men who are set apart by the Holy Spirit to lead and feed the local church. Shepherding includes leading, it's feeding, it's guiding, it's providing and protecting God's people. But notice he says to shepherd God's flock, verse 2, among you. These are local churches that you live nearby, where you live. This is not just a a big sea church. This is a small small sea church. It's those who live among you. So just as a shepherd leads and feeds his sheep, so pastors are called upon to lead and feed God's people within the local church. But then notice in the text three ways that pastors are to lead their churches. First, they lead willingly, not out of obligation. They lead willingly, not out of obligation. Look at verse 2. Peter says, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. You see, faithful pastors are not forced to this task. They're not manipulated. They're not coerced. It's not like they got the the short end of the stick or, or they drew the wrong straw. No, 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 this is a desire, it's willing, it's something they, they want to do. When I was a kid, my parents would periodically ask me to do chores throughout the house that I didn't want to do. And so say, they would say, Kenneth, please take out the trash. I would disrespectfully say, do I have to? And my mom would say, no, you don't have to, you get to. And that's the same kind of posture that Peter's driving home here. As a pastor, it's not a have to, you get to. Better yet, you want to. You desire this task. You want to do this task of ministering, of leading and feeding God's people. But I want you to see, number two, that they're passionate for people, not greedy for money. They're passionate for people, not greedy for money. Peter says, verse two, not out of greed for money, but eagerly. You see, pastors are are not to shepherd God's people with greed in their hearts, in fact, in the New Testament, an, an indicator of a false teacher is their love for money. And here in America, we have produced far too many charlatans who preach with a smile on their face while also putting their hands in your pockets. And see, no minister of the gospel needs to live in great opulence. No minister of the gospel needs a private jet. Make no mistake, God will judge every leader who steals, manipulates, embezzles, or preys upon the money of God's people. That's God's money. And what we see in the text, verse 4, so-called ministers who swindle money in the name of Jesus will stand before the Lord to give an account. But instead, Simon Peter says, instead of being greedy, the man of God, verse 2, shepherds eagerly. That word means with zeal or with passion. You see, faithful shepherds are eager to lead and care for the church. They have a passion not for money, but they, a passion for the people of God. I want you to see thirdly that they model Christ's likeness, not dictatorial power. They model Christ's likeness, not dictatorial power. Look at verse 3. He says, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. You see, pastoral leadership is not lordship. Pastoral leadership is a call to servanthood. It's a call to wash feet. It's a call to suffer with God's people. Pastoral leadership is the call to lead the way that leads to Jesus. It's a call to endure hardship for the sake of the gospel. Pastors must never use their position for a power play or for personal gain. We are under shepherds who will one day give an answer to the chief shepherd. In Mark chapter 10. James and John, two of Jesus' disciples, approached Jesus privately, and they said, Jesus, we would like the honor of being able to sit at your right and at your left in the new kingdom. Well, the other ten found out about this, and the Scripture says they became indignant. They were ticked off, probably because they didn't think of it first. And so Jesus, seeing his own disciples, who are starting to turn on each other, he calls a huddle and says, come here, guys. And he says, the Gentiles, they lord over one another like tyrants. But he says, but it must not be so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you will be slave of all. And then he says in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, a great verse for you to memorize. It says, for the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, leadership does not look like sitting at a desk and barking out orders. Leadership is not elbowing for position. Leadership looks like a bloodstained cross. And here we see in the text, Simon Peter calling upon pastors to be shepherds who are humble. Well, Kenneth, how can I know if i am called into the ministry i want you to see there are two things in play that both have to be there the first is an internal call of the holy spirit paul says in 1 Timothy 3:1 if anyone aspires to be an overseer he desires desires a noble work okay if you have the desire to serve in ministry it's a good godly desire Paul says it's a a good, noble task that God has called you to. And there's a sense in which internally you yearn for this. You desire to serve in ministry. It's an internal work of the Holy Spirit in which he is working upon your heart. In which you sense within you he is setting you apart for the task of leading and feeding God's people. It's a desire that the Holy Spirit plants inside of you. Charles Spurgeon says it so well, in which he says, it's an intense, all-absorbing desire for the work. Okay, but just because you have this desire does not always necessarily mean that you're called. There's a second component to the call that is vital for the sake of confirming and validating your call. You see, an internal call to the ministry is authenticated through an external confirmation of the local church, There's an external confirmation. The church has the responsibility and the honor to examine, to evaluate, and celebrate those who sense a call to the ministry What we do is we look at 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 and 1 Peter 5, and someone says, I'm called to the ministry. We say, okay, great. Let's look at the scriptures. Let's evaluate characteristics of what a call looks like, what a minister of the gospel looks like. This week I had breakfast with one of my neighbors. He doesn't attend Westwood, but he said, I'd like to get breakfast with you. I'm like, hey, let's do it. So we went and had breakfast this week at Chick-fil-A, and he said, I feel like God's calling me to the ministry. And I was like, man, that's great. Let's talk about that. And we opened up 1 Timothy 3. And we started walking through characteristics of what an overseer, of what a pastor looks like. And as we wrestled through this text, I asked him some tough questions like, man, is this, is this what God's calling you to do? And it's, it's okay if he's not. But you need to see that it's not just a personal desire. There's also an external confirmation in which the church looks at your life. They look at your character. They look at your competency, your convictions. They look primarily at your character. And they say, yeah, we, we can see that. The danger is when there's either or but not both and. So someone says, hey, I'm called into the ministry. But they don't have the character. They don't have the gifting. They don't know the Bible. They have a weak prayer life. They're not sharing their faith. That's when we as a church would say, ah, we don't see it. So often this looks like someone who, who in many ways, is self-proclaimed prophet. And they want to go out and start these gospel franchises called churches wherever they go. That's not what we see throughout the New Testament. No one can self-appoint themselves to the ministry. God is the one who calls you into the ministry. But there's also the danger of the other side, in which the church says, we think you're called, but the person doesn't have the desire. Sometimes that might look like a well-intentioned mom. says, Oh, Johnny, he's going to be a preacher. Oh, that young man, God's going to use him to pastor a big church one day. And this young man over here, if he doesn't have the internal desire, he's not called. And the danger is when these men get into churches and both are not in effect. Either they have never had the personal call of the Holy Spirit to go into the ministry or the local church looks upon their life and says, we don't see it. Both are essential for a call to the ministry. Maybe you're here today and you're wrestling through a call yourself. Am I called to the ministry? You'd be thinking, there's no way I could stand on a stage and preach to thousands. You don't have to call to the ministry doesn't mean you have to do this. The call to the ministry looks a lot like 1 Timothy chapter 3. And he has no idea I'm about to say this, but I think it's accurate. Topper Reed, our small groups pastor, he doesn't want to do this. It's not how God's gifted him. But he had the same call to the ministry as I did. Ministry looks different for different types of people. And he uses where you are, the gifting and the passions and your abilities. And he uses you right where you are. And what I'm praying for is God to raise up men and women who are called to the task. Who are called to lead, to preach, to invest. We need godly women to raise up who are going to say, you know what, I want to invest in women. I want to see future generations trust in Jesus. There's beauty in a model in which women are discipling women with the Titus 2 model of teaching young moms and teaching younger women how to follow hard after Christ. So we have the internal call and the external confirmation. But I want you to see number two here in the text. The faithful pastors will receive a reward. Look at verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. When the chief shepherd, okay, when King Jesus appears, when Jesus returns, the faithful shall be rewarded. Paul says in Colossians 3, 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, when he appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So a motivation to faithfulness for all of God's people is one day you will be rewarded for your faithfulness. This is for all believers, 2 Corinthians 5. When we stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ and like a medal ceremony at the Olympics, the Lord will reward those who are faithful. That's what he's saying here in verse 4 in in relation to pastors, to leaders, to elders. Those who are faithful will receive a reward, but what's interesting here is that we see Jesus described as the chief shepherd. And that reminds elders and pastors of two things. The first is, we're under shepherds. We're going to one day answer to the chief shepherd. One day, we're going to stand before the Lord and give an account. In the way I envision it, it may not be this way, so you can... Filter this, but the way I see it in many ways, 2 Corinthians 5, we all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We are rewarded for our faithfulness. And Jesus says, Enter into your rest, enter into the kingdom. Let's go enjoy what I've created for you. Hey, pastors, not so fast. You're gonna stay back with here, stay back with me for a moment. And we're going to incur, as James chapter 3 tells us, a stricter judgment. But those who are faithful, Peter says. They're going to receive a reward. So the fact that Jesus is the chief shepherd reminds pastors and elders that we're under shepherds. But it also reminds us that the church doesn't belong to us. It's not my church. It's not your church. We're Christ's church. We belong to him. And yet he places leaders, he places elders, pastors, shepherds over his people, over his flock to lead, to shepherd, to teach them in the path that they should go. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd, what's he do? He lays his life down for the sheep. That is what God has done for you in the gospel, is that Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, came and gave his life for the sheep. For those who turn from their sins and trust in Jesus by faith, that he died on the cross in our place, that he was buried, but he was raised again on the third day. Those who trust in him, those who bank their eternity and their soul upon his finished work, it is them that he died for, his sheep. And that's what he did for you. And he loves you. And he proves it by going to the cross. So, Kenneth, moving forward, what's that look like for all of us? In the text, um, what we see in verse 5, uh, we're going to look at humility here in just a moment, but I think it's important to see three things that you can, three ways that you can serve Church leaders in Christ Church, and may I say to you, I enter into this section with great trembling because this looks like very much a self-promoting opportunity for pastors like me. But please note, I hope you know my heart. That's not my desire, but it's awfully biblical. And when we get to the scriptures, we got to let God's word be what governs our lives, not our pastor's feelings. I want you to see, first of all, how can you serve church leaders in Christ's church? I want you to see, first, you pray for your leaders. You pray for your leaders. Oh, how grateful I am to be on the receiving end of prayers of God's people. Multiple times a week, I hear people tell me, I am praying for you and your family every day. Can I say to you, that's the best thing you can do for me and my family. And as a pastor, there is nothing better than hearing those words from your people. Praying for your pastors, praying for your staff, praying for our marriages, praying for our children, praying for our grandchildren. Someone, one of my heroes of the faith is a guy named Charles Spurgeon. I think you guys can probably pick up on that through my preaching and how often I talk about him. This is a guy who preached from the mid-1800s until the late 1800s, and preached, had the largest church in the world, he would preach to more than 6,000 people on a Sunday, knew everyone's name, how he did that I have no idea, and in his preaching he would preach so well, he didn't have a sound system like we have today, he's an amazing leader, and he, he started an orphanage and benevolence ministries where he was feeding the homeless, and he was a, an incredible writer, he wrote devotions and commentaries that I've got on my shelf, He preached thousands of sermons, just an incredible life. And one time these men came to him on a Sunday, and they said, where do you get your power? How are you able to do all of this? And he said, follow me. And he led these men through the hallways of his church all the way to the boiler room. And when he opened the door, inside were hundreds of people on their knees, and they were praying. And he said, do you know where I get my power? It's right here. There is nothing you can do better than to pray for your leaders. Paul, excuse me, Peter commands us to do that, to pray for government leaders. May I say to you, it is vital that you be praying for your spiritual leaders. Paul says in Ephesians chapter six, he says, pray for me, pray for me, that I may preach with boldness and make known the mystery of the gospel. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13, verse 18, pray for us, for we are convinced that we have a clear conscience in wanting to conduct ourselves honorably in everything. Westwood, let's continue to be growing as a praying church. What I love as your pastor seeing is people in the atrium and in the hallways and the parking lots putting their arms around one another and praying with and for one another. Did you know that every Sunday we have deacons who get here before everyone else and they are prayer walking our campus. They take time to pray with each of our pastors. We are a praying church and we are in desperate need of God. We need him and we want him and he draws near to those who cry out to him in faith. So one thing you can do is you can pray. The second thing you can do is to encourage your leaders Encourage your leaders. Your words are given to you by God for you to use to build others up. Your words are a powerful tool to use to advance the kingdom. And guess what? They're absolutely free. It doesn't cost you a penny to encourage people in the gospel. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. This morning, one of, one of our deacons here at the church, just, he just spoke right into my heart. And right now, I feel like I can run through a brick wall because of the encouragement that he brought into my life. Just, just words of just encouragement. Use your tongue to build others up in the faith. We live in a world that beats us down. Our own flesh is working against us. So speak words of life, words of encouragement into one another. And this is how we grow and how we come closer to Jesus. Now, as we get closer to his return, let's persevere in pursuing Christ. And let us not give up, but let's continue to encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. Third, follow their lead. Peter says in verse 5, in the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. So those who are younger in age or, or those who are younger in faith, they're to submit to the elders You see, the relationship between the local church and their leaders is summed up in Hebrews 13, where the writer of Hebrews says, remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you. As you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. Obey your leaders and submit to them since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Unfortunately, there are far too many spiritual leaders who have not led well. They have led with arrogance and with pride. There have been far too many leaders who have led with anger and impatience, and even some throughout church history who have been downright evil. Now, submitting to your leaders, following their lead may be difficult to hear, but it's biblical, and it's for your good. But this needs to be said. We are not called to blind submission. Okay? There's not submission because I've said so. Can I say to you, there's, there's two ways, I'm sure there are more, but there's two off the top of my mind right now in which you need to make sure you do not submit. Number one, you do not submit when you are being abused. And that's true both inside the church and outside the church. If at any point someone seeks to hurt you, to harm you, to abuse you with their words, with their actions, whether it's physical, emotional, or verbal, you report it. Do not hide, do not keep it to yourself. You need to let people know. One of the responsibilities of shepherds is to protect sheep. And can I just take a moment? If anyone has ever hurt you, if anyone in the church has ever said something to you, If anyone has ever hurt you physically or in any other way, I just want to say, I'm sorry. Please forgive us. That should never be Christ's, and it was never Christ's intent, but it should never be the desire of his leaders. So when someone is abusing you, you do not submit inside the church or out. But the second way you do not submit is when someone gives false teaching. If someone begins teaching you that contradicts the Bible, that is against the gospel, you do not submit. You approach church leaders and you say, this person said this. This is not what the scriptures say. This is not how we march forward in the gospel and we address it head on together as a faith family whether it's in this room or in another classroom or in a home or in conversation we make sure that we do everything according to what the scriptures reveal so kenneth what does submission and, and leadership look like in a faithful flock here are the keys grace and humility grace and hum- see grace and humility must be in the bloodstream of our faith family That must be the culture in which we live, in which we extend grace to one another, which means we give one another the benefit of the doubt. You see, mature believers extend grace. We love one another. We are patient with one another. We we, we want to see the best for one another. We extend grace liberally and joyfully, just as God in Christ has been very liberal and, and joyful in giving us his own grace. You see, number three, it leads to a call to the church. Everyone, clothe yourself with humility. Peter says, verse 5, clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. That phrase, clothe yourself, it refers to an, an apron that slaves would put on over their clothes. So as you clothe yourself with humility, indeed you are clothing yourself to the point of being ready to serve others. And we, we are humble in the same way in which Jesus humbled himself even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Which means there is no act that you and I could do that is too humble. Jesus made himself the ultimate servant by getting low all the way to the cross church family and my family, we have an agreement. I have told my children, if at any point you see me, your dad, not behaving in a way that looks like Jesus, you have the right to call me out. And I tell them here, and I've coached them up, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pull me in private, please don't do it in public, and I want you to speak respectfully. And I want my kids to know, I don't, they're not gonna have a dad who's a hypocrite. He's not gonna be a guy who does one thing on Sundays and looks totally different Monday through Saturday. And so I've given my kids the right to do that with me. May I say to you as a faith family, that is an agreement I would like to offer to all of you. If at any point you don't see me or someone else who is a pastor or an elder, a shepherd of this church, living in a way that looks like Jesus, you have the right to call us out. But you do so in private and with respect. But here's the thing, Westwood, you are led by imperfect shepherds who are pointing you to the good shepherd who came and gave his life for his sheep. And one day, those who know his voice, those who love the shepherd, will one day see his glory. And it's going to be glory that lasts forever. It is indeed an imperishable